And now, from beyond our dimension, this is the Jeff Mara Podcast. Here's Jeff. Today's guest is Mary Grace, author, spiritual counselor, and parapsychologist. She has a BA in psychology and is a retired mental health practitioner. She is the founder and co-leader of Finger Lakes UFO Meetup in Western New York. Mary, thank you for joining me and welcome. Oh, well, thank you, uh, Jeff, for having me and giving me the opportunity to share my passion for the paranormal. Mary, let's start on how you got started on your paranormal and spiritual path. Well, it's pretty easy because I grew up in a haunted house. <laughs> I'm uh, one of six kids and two parents that um, only on looking at it back in hindsight, I realized what a demented family I grew up with <laughs> or a group of practical jokers because this house, um, it was like, if you, you just envision the Adams family house, you know, this three-story colonial house. Um, and my grandmother owned it and a lot of people died in it. She kind of took in elderly people kind of as for a living. This is, you know, back in the you know, early 1900s or whatever. And um, she, a lot of people died in the house and we would, you know, just, I just grew up with it, hearing footsteps going up the stairs in the middle of the night when you're sleeping in bed and you're terrified. And um, the attic was what I call ground zero for ghosts. And I remember my earliest memories as a child was finding pictures as kids were up in the attic looking through stuff that was left there. And we found a box full of pictures and they were pictures of dead people and people that were like laid out um, after they died, they were laid out in what was then our dining room for like a makeshift funeral. And I learned later on that people would take pictures of the dead in order to keep the capture their spirit or to keep the devil from entering their body. So they would take pictures. So, um, yeah, I grew up with all these paranormal things, events, one of the scariest, and they were all scary to me. And one of the scariest was sleeping in my bed at night and having waking up with like an entity pinning you down and you're paralyzed and you can't speak and you're, you know, and this would happen to me. And, you know, if you had a friend spend the night, that was just one night and they never came back. <laughs> but the wildest thing is my brothers and sisters, we'd all play, try and play practical jokes on each other by, you know, upping each other in scare tactics. So, and I wrote a story about this in my book, but I mean, the house was like wired, like from room to room. Uh, for one example, um, my one brother was not the believer. He didn't believe in ghosts and he didn't want anything to do with it. So we were going to prove to him there was ghosts in the house. So uh, we had a rocking chair up in the attic and, uh, and a baby stroller up in the attic and we would hook wires to it. And the wires would go down through the ceiling to the room below. We took my brother up there and on cue was like someone below was pulling the wire. It's like, oh, you know, the rocking chair was moving and like, Terry, there's no ghost up here. And I was down below and I pulled this wire really hard and the rocking chair or the stroller goes shooting across the attic like it's possessed. And my brother's like basically traumatized, leaps down the stairs in two bounds, hits the attic wall and then another flight of stairs and then another flight of stairs 
And this was it. And he got me back a few times, uh, scaring the crap out of me. And Halloween was huge in our house. And my parents participated. You know, we had the whole haunted house thing. So, but when I was a kid, the spirit and the other side were really scary to me. It was scary. It was fun. It was scary. But it was strange. And, um, and, and one other thing, when I was a kid, about eight years old, I was with my family riding in the car, all eight of us, when uh, we spotted some UFOs in the sky. And my dad took pictures of these lights in the sky. And he was in the Army Air Corps, so he knew, you know, they weren't planes, they weren't flares. He knew about that. And they printed the pictures in the in the paper, the local paper. And it became a big story. But a lot of people just, you know, oh, it's just flares. But there was a profound effect on me, you know, so I had the, the spirits and I had the UFO experiences. And then as an adult, um, my first really spiritually transformative experience I had was two months um, after my mom died. And I want to share that story. And what happened is two months after mom died, she came to visit me. And she came in what I call a, like a dream visit or visitation. And that night I was asleep in my bed and I thought I was dreaming it, because in this dreamlike state I was in, the way it started out is I found myself in my own, my old bedroom in the house I grew up with. And I was surrounded by all these boxes and I knew these boxes contained my mother's belongings. They were all packed up. And as I'm standing there, all of a sudden I see my my mother and she reaches down into one of the boxes and she pulls out two lit candles, a white one and a blue one. And she hands them to me. And I thought to myself, how odd to have lit candles packed in a box, right? And as she handed them to me, after she handed them to me, I turned around and set them on the dresser I thought to myself, well, that can't be mom because because um, she she died. So when I turn around, I'll just blink my eyes a couple of times. When I turn around, she'll be gone. So I did that and I turned around and there my mom remained. And I said, mom, it can't be you. You're dead. But as soon as I said that, I knew, in fact, she was her and she was very much alive. But she didn't look at all like she did when she died because um, when she died, she had cancer. And now she was looking very young and healthy and beautiful. And the next thing I did was to scold her. I was like, Mom, where have you been? I've been waiting and waiting to get a sign from you. And she had this big smile on her face. And she simply said, I'm here for you now. Mary. And with that, I just threw my arms around her and we hugged so close and tight and I could feel her, you know, very solid and very real. And we were holding each other and I was just crying tears of joy. And the next thing I know, I was sitting in her lap and she was rocking me. We were like in some sort of rocking chair and she was rocking me and consoling me and she started stroking my hair and said over and over again, everything's going to be all right. Everything's going to be all right. 
Now, it seems strange in hindsight to be then a 40-year-old woman sitting in a mother's lap, right? But at that time in my life, I felt more like a four-year-old little girl who was lost and grieving. And here was my mom to hold me and comfort me from the other side. The next thing that happened, I, I woke up in my bed and I could still feel my mom's presence. I could still feel her arms around me and I was crying and then I started sobbing. And then I woke up my husband, he's like, what's wrong, what's wrong? And I'm like, it's mom, it's mom. She's alive, she's alive. Oh my God, mom is not dead. Now, it was one thing to be raised, I was raised Catholic and raised believing in eternal life, but it was quite another thing to experience it firsthand. Because before I went to bed that night, life after death was just a concept to me. And when I woke up the next day, it became my new reality. And I vowed that day to do whatever I could to maintain that connection with my mother and to communicate with her. Because if she could take the trouble to communicate with me, I knew I could, that relationship would never die. Although I had to grieve the loss of her physical body, to be emotionally, spiritually, psychologically, psychically, we would never, ever be apart again. But I didn't know how, but I was going to learn. And I just started reading all I could about learning how to communicate with spirit and spirit communication. And, and that was number one. It was the first time I'd had a positive experience from a spirit from the other side. It wasn't scary. It was loving. And the other thing, it was my first experience with what I later learned to be called the communion of saints, um, which is why in part of my research and learning, I spent 10 years writing and learning about how to maintain spirit communication and how to maintain that connection, but especially for people of the, of the Catholic faith, because I had some <laughs> negative things that came out of that when I needed to share and understand what was going on with me. That was a great experience that you shared with us. Are you still in contact with your mother? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And she just gives me signs all the time. But as I like to teach people, like one of her signs is a cardinal. There's a whole story about a cardinal um, coming to the window when she was dying. She, she, was, she was at home. We had her at home in hospice. And for about a month, um, she was in pretty much in her deathbed, but very much aware and very conscious and very much lighthearted spirits. Um, but every day this cardinal kept crashing through the window. He kept beating his you know, wings against the window. Every day this was going on and on for day after day for weeks. And, you know, he tried putting stuff in the window to discourage him, tried taking them all down and and the day mom passed, that cardinal did not return. And um, I felt, and other people said, yeah, she, he kind of like took her spirit to heaven. And then someone told me, well, if a bird flies into the window, it means someone in the house is going to die. Well, I was like, okay, I guess it's true. But um, after that, right around the time I had that visitation, I had, uh, I was grieving the loss of my mom and I made a memorial garden for her. 
and uh, it was Mother's Day. And I was my first Mother's Day without mom. And I, I walked out there and I said, Mom, I hope you like your, your Mother's Day present. It was this memorial garden. I sat down in front of the garden and then this cardinal comes down and he sits on the branch right above me. And he's like, cheer, cheer, cheer up, cheer up. And I just knew that that was a sign from my mom. And um, and I just started crying and sobbing. It's like, oh, mom, you really are here. And and as I tell people, when you get a sign, you, you'll know, you know, you look for several things to hit, and you probably hit a sign. Most people, Jeff, have you hit a sign from a loved one? I don't think so. You don't think so? Well, a lot of people have, and they're just not aware, because this is part of what I do and teach people, is to be aware of the signs. Um, but when you do get a sign, and I'll, we'll talk about that later with how to do a, a spiritual sign language. But now every time I see a cardinal, I think of my mom. And and usually one will, you know, go on the feeder every day and I'll say, hi, mom. And even my husband says, hi, mom. Now, is every time a cardinal a sign for my mom? No, it isn't. But every time I see one, I think of her. So when you start keeping those connections alive and you keep the memory of that person the more, the more that you stay connected with them, the more you communicate with them, keep them a part of your life, the more apt you are to get a sign from them. It's just like, you know, you know, people in your life that maybe they dropped out of your life because you sent them emails, they never responded. Uh, you send them a card, you, you give them a call, a text, they never responded. And you just, you, you know, you don't keep contact with them any longer. It's the same way with spirit. If spirit's trying to get a hold of you or you're not, you know, really responding. And that's why some people say, well, why would they come to you and not me? Well, maybe, you know, some people in the family are more open to this. Some people are so enmeshed in their um, social life that they're not open. Some people, they're grieving. And when you're in the midst of grieving, you're not always going to get be open to a sign. But there are, you know, we can set up a sign. There are ways to, to do that. But uh, so that's it's kind of how I got started and my spiritual transformations. And um, yeah, it was a year later I died. I had a near-death experience. We're not going to go into that. But again, it opened me up psychically and consciously expanded my consciousness. And what had happened, the reason I, I wrote my book and started my uh, Gifts of Grace ministry is because I was very confused when all this was going on. I was raised Catholic, small town, one church. I didn't know anything about spiritualism, spirit communication, mediums. It was not a part of my life. And um, I, I kind of got opened up to the point where I was getting voices and spirits wanting to connect. I was so open, I didn't know how to control it. And people wanting to pass on messages. So I went to the one person who I thought would understand. Um, I went to my priest to tell him all that happened to me. And I, I talked to him about the visitation from my mom and my own near-death experience. And he quite calmly told me that I was um, dabbling with the devil and what I was doing was evil and that, um, and that I needed to find another church. And I was eventually excommunicated from my small town church. And I was devastated. You know, it was my life. Growing up, you know, in your first communion there, your baptism, and, you know, right up through marriage. And 
this priest had buried both my parents and I just didn't understand who, who were devout Catholics who went to church every Sunday. So I didn't understand there was like this big contradiction um, in church policies. If I can talk to God and the saints in heaven, why can't I talk to my mom or grandma or Uncle Joe? What's up with that? So if we're going to believe in the communion of saints, doesn't it follow that we would practice communion or communication with the, the saints? And so this is really what set me on a 10-year journey of research and in wanting to know and then writing an entire book on the community of saints or what I call spirit communication for Catholics and how we can utilize this church doctrine. So I'm assuming that you still are Catholic and if so, how does the things that you're doing fit within the faith? Well, I, um, I ended up finding another church that was a whole excommunicated Catholic church community. <laughs> it was not a Roman Catholic church, an independent Catholic church. They opened their arms to me. It was a Catholic church made up of what I call Roman Catholic rejects. It was the, <laughs> the gays, the lesbians, the divorced, the ones that had abortions. All these people that the Roman Catholic church didn't want found a home at Spiritus Christi Catholic Church in Rochester, New York, which someone said, well, you should go there. They'll let anybody in. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> so I found myself driving 45 miles of downtown Rochester every Sunday for about 15 years until COVID hit. And um, and I, when I first went to my priest there and I says, I'm here, I didn't know Father Jim Kalen. I said to him, I'm here because, you know, I talk to dead people. And he just, you know, I was like crying. I was like, I didn't know. I was scared. I'm, in a, I'm not a city person. You know, this, I was really out of my element. And a big church with about, you know, 700 parishioners. And yeah, he just put his arm around him, his arm around me. He said, that's okay. We, we believe in the communion of saints. And I'm like, what? So that just, that I stuck that in the back of my head. And then I started learning about what this church doctrine means. Because a lot of people, for many, many people, whether, you know, for one thing, I like, I, I got to be I'm Catholic all my life. You can't take it out of you. <laughs> it's like, it, I said, it's like being Jewish. You can't take it. I have a lot of Jewish friends. You can't take it out of you. It's part of who you are. Um, it's one small part. It's one part of my, I think our religion, our organized religion is one more, one small part of our spirituality. We have our religion, we place we go to church on Sundays, and then we might practice yoga on Tuesday nights or go to, you know, psychic medium classes on Thursday nights. So, you know, to me, everybody's religion is very different depending on all the things that you're exposed to. So, but briefly, I want to explain um, about the communion of saints, because I, growing up Catholic, I didn't know this, but for not only Catholics, but Episcopalians, there are other denominations that say in their um, church services, recite a prayer called the Apostles' Creed. And in this prayer, you say, or state, I believe in the communion of saints. Now, I had said, said it thousands of times in my life, didn't, never thought about it. I don't think anyone really thinks about it. But what does it really mean? And basically what it is, is the what I call the cosmology of the church. And it's an idea that it's a church doctrine that says 
There is an eternal relationship between members of the church that live on earth, heaven, and purgatory. So the church is not just people on earth, it's people, it's people on the other side. It's all people. And to me, I understand that not just people on earth, people on all planets, because we're all children of God. But in this church doctrine, uh, it is recognized and encouraged to have a relationship between the living and the dead. And this goes back to early Christianity and the first saints, the first martyr for the saints. When people died for the faith, they weren't just some, you know, unknown canonized saint that lived hundreds of years ago. These were people's relatives, you know, their brothers, their sisters, their aunts, their uncles. And it was thought that they could pray to their family on the other side because they were closer to God and they could ask for intercessions and favors. So um, that's kind of how the, the communion of saints works. It's like a not only it's a vertical relationship where we can communicate with those in heaven, ask for pray to them or for them. And at the same time, it's a horizontal relationship. And that like I could pray if someone says, you know, my my brother's going to the hospital, I will say, okay, I'll pray for them. We can pray for each other here on earth. So it's so it's this it's a beautiful concept, but I thought to myself, well, if you're gonna believe in the community of saints, doesn't it fail that you would practice it? And where's the manual? Where's how do you do this? <laughs> Where are the rules? And this contradicts the church's teaching that spiritualism or spirit communication is evil and against the church. So I did all this research and, and studying and and I was like, yeah, I ended up writing the manual and uh, in my book, Talking to God and Grandma, Mystics, Mediums, and the Communion of Saints. So, um, yeah, so I just, it was a real learning experience and education, but it's a concept that's so rich in the Catholic Church, rich in mysticism and our saints. And the Catholic Church is open to all this. They're open to the paranormal and the supernatural. And as I love the Sylvia Brown quote, if you took all the supernatural out of the Bible, there'd be nothing left but the covers, right? <laughs> so I, you know, I guess it was just, I was always exposed to the paranormal and the supernatural. And uh, I guess it just was always a part of my life. So it's, I, in college, I studied parapsychology and um and that's how kind of I got into to doing all that I do and helping people not only connect with the other side, um, you know, working with um, UFO or contactees or abductees and helping people connect with loved ones. They might be living in spaceships. So um, it's kind of the communion of saints is not relegated to just earth. It's <laughs> and one more thing I want to mention is a lot of people think saints means the most Canonized, canonized holy people, but the word saint um, comes from the Latin word hagios, it just means holy. So it just means all people who are holy, and that means, according to the church doctrine, all people who are believers in a higher being, a God, something beyond oneself. Um, so that includes all denominations, all religions, it doesn't matter what faith you are. The only one really excludes us, I don't know, maybe double worshipers or people in hell. But for, you know, most of the people, 
they do have a belief in a higher power. And, and if not when they're living here, certainly when they're dying, you know, I always say that my favorite saying, there's no atheist in a foxhole. And you have interviewed many near-death experiencers, people that were atheists, they came back from that little trip, no longer atheist and believing. That's true. <laughs> Can you give us some steps or tips on how to reconnect with our loved ones in heaven? Sure. There's a simple exercise, but the first thing I learned in all the books that I read and um, is how to communicate with spirits. Meditate, meditate, meditate. So I took up meditation, and to this day I meditate at least twice a day. So that is key, you know, quieting your mind um, to get two-way communication or to get messages, to be able to do that. Um, and it's good just for your overall peace of mind and and knowing that you're you're in this world but not of it and connecting to a higher being, whether you call it God or your angels and guides and spirit guides, which is very helpful, you know, in trying to get through this incarnation. <laughs> But I do a simple, I teach a class, I, and it's all in my book, what I call spiritual sign language. And this actually comes from uh, Bill and Judy Guggenheim's book, Hello from Heaven, which was written in 1995. I just had to look that up because I had met Bill Guggenheim years ago and he endorsed my book. Um, so I have to give him credit. But what they call after-death communication, he coined that term. It just means a, a spontaneous communication with a loved one. You're not you're not at a seance. You're not um, trying to communicate with them. It's something that you're in your busy day, walk about life, and something happens, and it's spontaneous. But we can, and also I learned this from uh, John Edwards and James Van Praggs, great teachers in their book. We can set up a sign. We can encourage that. And one way you do that, and I'll kind of try and do this simple exercise with you, Jeff, is um, you think of a person that you want to connect with on the other side. Do you have somebody in particular? Sure. Okay. Um, can you tell me the first name? Bob. Yeah. Okay. So you're going to think of the person that you want to connect with. Think of that person's favorite hobbies, interests, something that they were passionate about. Uh, whether it was a sports team, whether it was a occupation, or just a hobby, gardening, something like that. And could you tell me what that Bob's was? He was passionate about. I believe it was teaching. Teaching, okay. And when now, what I'm going to do is I'm going to dig. We're going to get deeper and deeper into the more specifics. Was what kind of teacher was he? He taught both at the university level mm -hmm. as well as real estate. Okay, so there's a two big different things, but it's two things that he he did for a living. Do you know what subjects he taught? Or? It was marketing, which is kind of close to real estate. Okay, yeah. And because um, the more specific you get, the better. Now, this is a little bit of a tough one because it's marketing, real estate. But I would go more with the real estate and a symbol of like a house or something like that. Or as a teacher... Um, because for, and just to give another example, if someone was a gardener, I would ask, 
What did they like, flowers or vegetables? If it was flowers, what was your specific flower? Was it a rose? If it was a rose, what color? Was it yellow, was it red? The more specific you get, when you do get the sign, you'll know it's from that person. And we'll talk about that. So can you think of something that would be a good symbol for him? I would either be a house or maybe, you know, like a cap and gown kind of represents education, you know, like okay. of a graduate. Well, I'm going to go with that because this is what's coming in your mind. And um, I always tell people whatever you're envisioning or the thoughts that you're getting, a lot of times it's that person's putting that thoughts in your head. So we'll go with cap and gown because it's a great one, especially with graduations coming up, mm -hmm. at least high school. Colleges are pretty much over. But um, so what you're going to do is you're going to go to bed tonight. And in bed, you're going to say Bob's name, or preferably first and last. You say his name three times. When I do this in a class, I actually have people write it down also. Think of something they were passionate about. You set up a sign and say, Bob, Bob, Bob. I'd love to get a sign from you. and have it be something to do with a cap and gown, you know, and you can be kind of open teaching, but the more specific, the better. And maybe it's a house. I tell people, if you want two signs, go with two, but not more. And then, and that's it. Well, then what's going to happen is you're in the coming days and maybe weeks, you're going to be open as to how you get this sign. Okay. Maybe it's something you see on a TV commercial. Maybe it's something you open a magazine and there's a picture of someone in a cap and gown. Or maybe it's just the cap. Maybe it's just the tassel. Um, that type of thing. And, or, you know, you get an invitation to graduation, something like that. So you're going to look for four things to happen. Number one, you're going to get the physical sign. You're going to get the cap, the gown, the vision. And... And then you're going to feel the presence. And what I mean by that, you're going to feel Bob's presence. When you feel the hair stand up on your arm or you feel prickly in the back of the neck, what that is, is you're feeling a person's electromagnetic energy. You're feeling what's called their presence. They're nearby. And the third thing that's going to happen is Bob is going to shout to you, Jeff, Jeff, it's me, it's me, it's Bob. And you're going to get that communication so loud and clear in your head that no one will be able to tell you differently that that wasn't a sign from him. And the fourth thing to look for is usually when you get a sign, this happens, you'll kind of, all oh, this will happen at once. You may cry, maybe tears of joy, or you'll get emotional. But at the end, you're usually left with a sense of peace. And that's just a simple way to set up a sign with someone that's crossed over. Now, a couple of caveats with that. You might get a totally different sign. It might be something that's totally different. It's spontaneous. It happens when you're riding in the car or whatever. And uh, and I got a list of some of the, the things to look for here, too. But when you do get this sign, you're still going to get what I call the just knowing. We got to say that the just knowing, which is them shouting in your head, you're going to get the just knowing. And all these other things are going to happen. You'll just know what's it. So maybe it is a house. Maybe, it, you know, if you had a favorite type of house, a house you like, whether it was a colonial or whatever. But some of the things to look for, it's just a matter of being aware. 
uh, lights flashing. Um, it's a very common way when people cross over, it's easiest for them to control things like lights, anything electronic, uh, televisions turning off and on by themselves, radios, clocks. It's not unusual for a clock to stop at the time of a person's death. Um, telephones. Um, I mean, probably one of the few classes when I have a class, I tell people, don't turn off your phone, leave your phones on, and don't ever delete anyone that's crossed over from your phone. Don't be surprised if your phone rings and it's their name on there and there's nothing but static on the other side. You know, appliances shutting off and on by themselves, um, computers, music, hearing a favorite song, and smells. You know, a favorite tobacco smell or perfume, photographs. It's not unusual if you take a picture for loved ones to show up in photographs. Um, animals, animals like the cardinal, animals that act like out of the norm, like they're not afraid of you, they come close to you. Um, rainbows, nature like rainbows, very common sign. Voices, hearing a voice. I've been woke up numerous times in the night with someone shouting my name. Sometimes you might see a full-blown apparition, see the person there. And and airports or ports is objects that move around or so it's actually objects that appear out of nowhere. But you might have objects that move around the house. You just set your keys on the table and now they're not there or they're on the other side of the kitchen or whatever. So those are some of the things to look for. And when you do get that sign, you know, think, you know, maybe it's someone that recently crossed over, maybe it's someone that you wanted to hear from and see if you get the other things to happen. If I hear the person's voice, would it be in their actual voice or like my version of their voice from my thoughts? Well, I've heard several different voices. Um, I've heard my mother shout my name in the middle of the night, and it was their voice. And another voice I heard was actually a client of mine that had passed over, and I I did her eulogy, and I heard her name shout. I heard her shout my name in the middle of the night, woke me up, and it was her voice, so I could recognize the voice. You know, maybe it, it's different for everybody, but I really think a lot of people do, like paranormal investigators, communicate with spirits all the time and it's usually in their voice now you mentioned that this can work with ets would you use this just to meet a random alien or if you feel like you've been abducted before are you trying to contact the alien that has abducted you well this is kind of a a new process that i learned from Richard Martini, a documentary filmmaker, and I took a webinar from him on how to stay connected to the light for NDE years. But at this time, I was working with alien contactees. So I'm like, wait a minute, can we? And his, his thing was, we're no longer using psychotherapy for contactees to regain memories because we can't use the data. It's too unreliable. It, people can be led, they can have false memories, whatever. So now what we're doing is guided meditations. So when I when I help people to connect with loved ones on the other side in a one-on-one -on -one counseling session, 
is I do a guided meditation. And I do this in a in classroom settings too for a whole group of people. And it's just to put them in a guided meditation, a deep level of trance or, you know, deep level relaxation and guide them through connecting with someone on the other side. And it all has to do with the power of intention, visualization. And so I had asked if we, if I can do this with loved ones on the other side, can't we do this with people who have loved ones in spaceships? Like, yeah, it's all the same thing. It's all energy. So I'm actually looking for people to, to practice this on now. Um, because I've mainly been helping people through the counseling and helping to understand, because there's many commonalities between people who had near-death experiences and UFO contactees, which I was doing research on. Um, and in and I've learned a lot from the contactees, especially, you know, people who, many, many women who have lost their babies, who are missing fetuses, and then are later on shown their children and men too that know that they have children on their spaceship and i'm talking about people that are repeatedly contacted taken whatever you want term you use um from the time that their child you know maybe a child the time adult you know one woman i know till she until she was in her 80s and passed away so people do have loved ones in spaceships or maybe on other planets I have um, suggested some of the kind of people I work with try this, and they have, and they have gotten some success and some messages. And now having um, those sons or daughters coming to them here in the physical world to make contact at night, rather than being taken, they're coming. They're having visitors come. So it's it's fascinating work. I don't know, you know, I'd like to learn more about it. And if anyone wants to, to try, um, you know, that with me to do a guided meditation, I'd be happy to do that, um, you know, for, for research and to help people. I mean, it's all about helping people that, you know, this is a big part of people's lives, especially contactees or, you know, NDEs who have met loved ones on the other side. You live in a whole different level of consciousness. Your thoughts are on the other side. Your thoughts are there to the point where it's hard to live in a normal life with normal people. <laughs> As we were talking before, when you go to visit, you know, family or something, they're all about the politics or the social media. And it's something that myself and so many others are so removed from because it's not a part. It's a small part of the reality. It's the physical world. You know, there's so much more, so much more interesting, fascinating things about other levels of reality and that we can participate and practice and experiment, whether it's paranormal investigations or contacting loved ones on other planets or in other dimensions. It all kind of works the same. But it, yeah, there's a lot of great things going on around there. There are a lot of people who are star seeds that would probably like to connect with their star families. Have you considered working with them? I'm, uh, yeah, I'm open to, yeah, I'm open to working with whoever wants to contact me. Yeah, because I, I, like I said, I was doing research. It was last fall, last summer fall, I was doing research on the commonalities between 
near-death experience and, and contactees finding all these similarities such as like the social isolation social isolation the not being able to share it with anybody some ptsd and there's been commonalities where people are being contacted i say being taken aboard ships and meeting spiritual teachers meeting light beings they're highly spiritual um seeing people that are godlike having positive experiences. And there are a lot of negative experiences too, but there's a lot of commonalities. So I was doing research on that. And that kind of leads me into PMH water. I was doing research on that when I got the, the email that she was doing the ETNDE study, which I know you had her on recently and, and talked about that. So since then, uh, we've been working together on, on her uh, study and she's looking for people that have had not only near-death experience, but within a year of that have had alien contact. And so I, you know, we kind of got to email on and she uh, wasn't too familiar with people in the UFO field. So I said, well, I can help you with that then, you know, I know a few people. And so I just kind of contacted a few friends to tell them about her study. And she's like, okay, you're my official um, assistant, volunteer assistant. So I've been trying to promote that and help her on that. But there is a lot, of, and I'm not even really sure what she's what she's looking for in her study. But um, we'll, we'll find out. But there are probably a lot of the similar things. I was checking out your website. And as I mentioned earlier, you are the founder and co-leader of the Finger Lakes UFO Meetup. And on your website, it was talking about that you're having a Bigfoot night. Oh, yeah, I did not update that yet. Are you? Are there a lot of? Are there a lot of Bigfoot sightings up there in New York? There are, and that was actually our, our meeting last Saturday. And um, I actually have a friend and neighbor that's a Bigfoot expert, and he came, um, Mike of Tactical Bigfoot Research, and he's been on like Monsters and Mysteries in America and done a film documentary film on, on Bigfoot. So he came as our guest speaker, and we had a, we had a pretty good turnout for that. Um, yeah, he talked about one of the first times that he had heard about it was in our area was uh, a lake next to me, near me. I live by two lakes, and one is Canadice Lake in the Finger Lakes. It's smaller than Hemlock Lake, which is in my backyard, but all in the same forest. And uh, they had they had a big article about it in the paper, and it was like maybe in the 70s or something. But that he kind of got hooked on it then. But um, I'm convinced I have at least one, if not a family, living in my backyard because I have uh, many pictures. Not many, but just about every winter, a lot of times I've seen footprints. And I've got several really nice pictures of footprints in the snow leading out of the swamp. And uh, and then in the mud, I've gotten some footprints. I got some from last fall. And so I've always been interested. I actually did a thing last winter where I was cross-country skiing. And I says, okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna try this out. 
I, I go to the edge of the swamp and uh, I take my skis off. I walk a little bit into the, the trees area and I, I get the big stick and you, you know, you, you knock a stick on a tree and you get the tree knocking things. I says, well, I'm going to try this. And I, I learned a lesson in, in getting the right tree branch because the three first three branches, like they just broke. I'm like, this isn't working. So I get this big branch and I'm whack, whack, whack three times against the tree. And I was like, I live in a valley and it's like, wow, you could hear it throughout the valley. Wow, you could hear it go throughout the valley. I'm like, holy Toledo, don't I get a response? Whack, whack, whack. I'm like, holy Toledo. And then I had seen the footprints coming out of the out of the swamp. And I took some pictures and invalidated a little bit. I, I you know, I didn't I don't normally see people where I live skiing it's not like a big tourist area the state forest but i did come across a hunter with his beagle and i asked him i go did you hear those knocking noises in the woods he goes yeah because now it's continuing even though i have stopped doing the knocking it continued and he goes yeah i just figured it was gunshots or something i'm like no i think it was bigfoot and he's he's like there's no way and then i showed him the picture on my cell phone he's like Holy Toledo. He goes, yeah, he heard him too. It was like, so, um, yeah, so I kind of, I've always had an interest in that because I've, for many, many years or more, I've seen the footprints, seen signs and watch all the TV shows and immerse myself in that too. Do the footprints look anything like human prints? It just looks like a, a big, uh, I should bring up my phone. Uh, you know, it, the one I have a tape measure for, because Mike, my friend Mike says, don't ever walk without a tape measure. You need a tape measure. So I actually had it that could measure the footprint. But it was just looked like somewhat a barefoot print, only huge, you know, like 18, 20 inches. And where it was coming from, you know, someone someone would say, well, it's a, someone snowshoeing. I'm like, you don't snowshoe in the swamp where... It's all bramble and pricker bushes. I mean, you need a machete to get through there. Like, you know, people stick to the trails or the open areas of snowshoe. And uh, yeah, so. I'm not aware of snowshoe footprints because we rarely get snow here. And if we do, it's yeah. only an inch or two. So it's not necessary. But is this footprint obviously different from oh, a, yeah. a shoe yeah. print? Because even if you don't see definite toes because of the snow, it's like it, it's like at an angle, like a like like a like a hand, like mm. this. Do they have shoes? Are usually curved at the top, mm -hmm. and they're usually very symmetrical. And this is like okay, you can see the outline of the foot and toes. And the one I have in the mud, you can see pretty good. Um, you can see that one better. The snow, I haven't. Yeah, I just learned from my, our Bigfoot class last week about the 3D scanner that you can get for your phone. There's an app, a 3D scanner app, because used to be you would have the plaster in Paris and take the footprint and pour it in there. And I have yet to try that. Mm. But now you can use an app on your phone and you can just scan the footprint and it'll show you the dimensions and you can see a 3D image. Yeah, so that's cool. There's a lot of cool tools out there. If it was a bear claw mark, would there be signs of nails or claws? Yeah, not only that, bears are more round, you know. 
where this was like more elongated. Yeah. And I'm very familiar with tracks. I mean, I even have tracking books that I just, one of my favorite hobbies is, in, especially in the winter, you can see more tracks. Um, I go cross country skiing a lot. It's just to be able to identify, you know, mountain lion. So we have mountain lions out in our backyard and, uh, you know, we have bears, we have black bears. And to be able to just, you know, is that a squirrel, is that a rabbit, whatever, to identify them. So do you think that Bigfoot is something that is living here full time or kind of comes in and out through portals? <laughs> I laugh because you hit on a very controversial subject. <laughs> My belief, and I was, I tell you, I was recently at a paranormal festival a couple of weeks ago. And I think there was four Bigfoot people there. Um, and a lot of them are just, you know, we're, it's very scientific. It's flesh and blood. And, you know, they want to be very scientific about it. And um, I, I just, you know, there's nobody. A lot of people see them vanish. You know, there's been a lot of sightings where people see them. And I've seen incredible stories like on TV, of, you know, state troopers, sheriffs, forest rangers who have been very close you know, proximity have seen them and they just disappear. I'm I'm of either they're interdimensional, they could be aliens. I have a friend that calls them the alien bodyguards. And <laughs> I think that's a good idea. They're like protecting the woods and wherever they are, there's a lot of times there's UFO connected. We talked about this in our Bigfoot meeting. What is the connection between Bigfoot and UFOs? But I'm I have always more of a cosmic viewpoint. But it's like my viewpoint when it comes to aliens and UFOs, there are people out there that's like, no, this is just nuts and bolts science. We're talking about spaceships. We're not talking about shape-shifting interdimensional beings. And the way I respond to that is, okay, we're using 21st century technology to try and study something that is thousands of years ahead of us in science. So they're probably looking at us and saying, you know, small potatoes, you know, you're never going to figure this one out. <laughs> Your book is called Talking to God and Grandma, Mystics, Mediums, and the Communication of Saints. Here. I can't see myself. I don't know if you see it. If they want to find out more about it, is it on Amazon? Yes, and, and this, this is the latest version. It's republished from my original book that came out in 2014. And this this was the original, so for those that have it. And and I'm, I kept the original book up there on Amazon because the original title was Talking to God and Grandma. And when I got a publisher years ago, and it was a Catholic publisher, I was just thrilled at the time to get it published. And they're like, well, the title's too esoteric. So they flipped it and they made the title, The Communion of Saints, a subtitle, Talking to God and Grandma. And it was marketed, it wasn't put on Amazon. It was marketed to their Catholic audience through their Catholic publications. And I don't think it got to a lot of people. And for me, this is more for what I call expanded Catholics, um, the new age, metaphysical people that aren't, you know, but it's also, I wrote the book primarily for anyone who's lost a loved one, for anyone that's grieving, because 
there's step-by-step -step instructions in there on how to stay connected with loved ones on the other side. And I felt as a parapsychologist, and I can talk a little bit about that, but I wanted to take the woo-woo out of parapsychology, spirit communication. We can, the book very much bridges science and religion by educating people that this is not, you know, evil, supernatural, paranormal. It's just two sides of the same coin. So I wanted to educate people and people that are more open to that are your people that are already, you know, experiencing other levels of consciousness, whether it's new age, metaphysical, um, the ufology community. But a lot of people have that Catholic background, but they want to learn how to integrate that. How can I integrate this paranormal experience that I had with my faith? How does that jive? And I'm here to explain to people it does, because when you look at the science behind spirit communication, or whether it's with alien contact or whatever, and just the science of parapsychology, um, you know, science and religion often say the same things. And for example, what parapsychological term is paranormal, but the theological term or biblical term is supernatural. And another way of looking at it is the, what science calls um, visions or clairvoyance. In the Bible or theological term, they call it, you know, they call it seers. We call psychics or mediums and they call them visionaries or prophets. And the term like clear audience, in science, we call it clear audience. Well, in the Bible, they call it locutions. So it's saying the same things, it's just using different terms. So if you can understand that really science and religion aren't that far apart. And to me, when it comes to the paranormal and supernatural, that's kind of where science and religion come together because they're both looking at it and studying it from different angles. And a lot of religions, I mean, the, found, the definition of a religion is a belief in a non-physical being and how one lives their life in relationship and according to that belief. So it doesn't matter what religion we have, we use telepathy to communicate with loved ones on the other side or God or whoever, your spirit guides, angels. And a bit about telepathy, that's our first language. It's the language we have before we incarnate. It's the language we use when we return to the other side. It's the language aliens use. It's the language we use all the time when we're here, but a lot of times without knowing it. Um, subconsciously, a lot of people use it consciously. But another word for telepathy is prayer. People think nothing of praying. It's spirit communication. It's mind-to-mind -mind communication, communicating or transcommunication with people on the other side in another dimension. It's all you know, one universe and it's all energy. So it kind of all works the same. For the Catholics out there that are interested in this supernatural and metaphysical things, but they're afraid to because they feel like it may be evil or demons are involved, what advice do you have for them? Um, read the book. Um, I explain in the book, and what I found out through my research, 
because of the rich history of mysticism in the church and all the saints that had these paranormal experiences, um, that spiritualism was encouraged in the church up until 1898, until the Pope Leo had banned spiritualism. And the reason was because, or spirit communication, that was the height of the practice of spiritualism and seances in the 1860s, and especially after the Civil War, you know, there's a whole history of the Fox sisters that got really popular. People all over the country were participating in seances. And it wasn't banned by the Catholic Church then. It was seen as this is a way that people can utilize the communion of saints. So spiritualism really gained a popularity that by the 1890s, like six or it was like 80% of the country, over 30 million people were practicing spiritualism. They were having like Monday night circles, like like they would play a Monday night game of bridge, they would get together for seances. And everything was copacetic and it was great. And like I said, a lot of this, a lot of this was after the Civil War. And Lincoln was practicing spiritualism, the White House. And then what happened is it got too popular. And there was a lot of fraud going on. There was a lot of fraud going on with the mediums that were taking advantage of people. So the church decided that they would shut it all down. They were afraid that it was becoming another religion. It was becoming more popular than the Catholic church. So they banned Pope Leo, the, Pope Leo, I think it's the 12th, uh, signed a decree saying anyone who practices spiritualism or spirit communication can consider themselves excommunicated from the Catholic Church. So then spiritualism plummeted. They went down because Catholicism was in, it was so huge, and the church was such in control of people's lives. You know, like whatever they told us to do, we believed them. You know, the, the priests were like gods. So for many many years, this is the way it's been, and ever since then, it was spiritualism is evil. But then when I, I had my experiences, it's like, wait a minute, this is part of our Catholic faith under the church doctrine of the community of saints. So you got a huge contradiction here. So um, if people want to understand, the book is the most comprehensive book, I believe, on the community of saints, because not only do I write about the history of it, but also in how parapsychology and science are part of it, but also how to communicate with saints because i'm like why isn't this done in the churches why isn't this done in small christian communities to have people come together and communicate with their loved ones on the other side you know don't make it evil and taboo because a lot of things people are just they're just going to ignore the church when it comes to things like that when they're grieving the loss of a loved one and they want to connect and they um and maybe they want to go to a medium to get a reading or they get a sign. And they're just going to ignore the rules like they did with a lot of other things, you know, like, you know, birth control. <laughs> you know? Is the communion of saints written in the Bible? And if so, would you say that the Bible encourages people to talk to their loved ones in heaven? Well, the history of the communion of saints, well, it goes back to, well, first it goes to Judaism, but before that, and this is in the book. It goes to the Old Testament and the School of Prophets. And a lot of people have heard of the School of Prophets. And that was a school that was set up to teach people how to communicate 
with the angels or their loved ones on the other side. And it was a coveted thing to be able to be included in school of prophets. You had to apply and it's just like today's seminary schools. That's where it comes from. So people um, had to like apply and get accepted into a school of prophets. And that's, and it's described in detail. And I talk about that in, in my book, where it came from. So they had a classroom where people would go to learn how to communicate with spirits. But then in the New Testament, Jesus came along and he had his own school of prophets, but he didn't have his in a building. He gathered his disciples and he went around teaching, but he taught people how to communicate with God. And one of the ways he did that is he taught them how to pray. And he said, when you talk to God, this is what you say. You say, our father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. And this he taught, his was an extension of the school of prophets. And then the school of prophets after Jesus, they had these schools all over the place and they formed into our local churches and seminaries. But over the years, the tools that were used, they used music, they used bells, they used things to like candles, things to raise your vibration. Because we know now when you wanna communicate with spirits, we need to raise our vibration. They sang. Well, why do we do all these things in church today? What is the church mass? What is a church service? We sing, we have bells, we have candles. We do all these things to raise our vibration. But was what was lost over the centuries was why we do them. And we do that to communicate. And for so our prayers are to communicate with our loved ones or God on the other side. So it's kind of interesting how it's gone through the history. And that's all. And that's all in the book. Mary, after watching this podcast, people may want to reach out to you and ask you questions. Are you up for that? Sure, sure, yeah. Uh, go to my website and there's uh, my phone number and email. Yeah. I don't do email so good. Maybe once a week, phone me or text me. <laughs> well, before we finish up, can you leave us with one last positive message? No matter what you're going through and everybody's going through, you know, people go through difficult times in their life, whether you're grieving the loss of a loved one, you're grieving the loss of a job, home, your mobility, your health, put your trust and faith in God. Just pray, put your, put everything into God's hands. And as I say, I, I put everything in God's to-do box. God, this is too big for me. You've got, I know you've got me and just have that connection, pray and know that you're being taken care of. This, this is only a blip, one incarnation on your eternal life. You will get through this, whether you pass or someone in your life passes. And if someone in your life does, you will be reconnected. But in the meanwhile, you can stay connected. So put your trust and faith in God. And, you know, your, and your angels and guys and pray and keep that connection and know this is not the real world. This is not, it is one level of reality, but this isn't the end all or be all. Keep that connection, learn, read, and, and, and find like-minded people. 
to hang out with positive people that think like that. Mary, thank you for that message. And thank you for being my guest. Well, thank you, Jeff. I really had a good time. I enjoyed it. And yeah, anyone feel free to contact me. And I, I, my Gifts of Grace ministry is nonprofit. So I don't charge anything. And same with my UFO group. Um, everything's a donation base. So yeah, I'm happy to help. This is how I serve. And my mission is to serve. Thanks for watching the Jeff Mara podcast. I really appreciate you. Another way to show support is through YouTube memberships. And if you do, there are loyalty badges and other perks depending on your level of membership. All you need to do is click the join button underneath the video to find out more. Thank you for your support.